Well, my friends, I'm afraid it's time. It's time to get political. Yes, I know it's not wise for preachers to talk politics from the pulpit. That's a big no-no. And it's probably not a good idea to do such a thing on the second Sunday in our new building. There are likely a, a few visitors here this morning checking us out. Why rock the boat at a time such as this? But it's not my fault. I did not invent the church calendar. And today, as you may know, is Christ the King Sunday, a day that reminds us that our faith is built upon a radically political claim, a day that reminds us that our faith and our politics go hand in hand. Before becoming an Anglican, I had never heard of Christ the King Sunday. Like many of you, I grew up in a tradition that only observed two days in the entire church calendar, Christmas and Easter, holidays that even our broader culture celebrates in one form or another. But Christ the King Sunday, what is this? And how does this day encourage us to get political? I have to admit that the name of this feast day has always struck me as a bit odd because it feels redundant, doesn't it? Christ the King. As many of you know, the word Christ is not the surname of Jesus. It's a title. Christ means Messiah or anointed one or, or even better, the anointed King of Israel. Which means that the message of this day runs something like this. Christ, the Jewish king who is Jesus, is the true king of the whole world. Or as the early church went about proclaiming, Jesus is Lord. So today is meant to remind us that we are citizens of another kingdom and as such, we give our allegiance to the king of this kingdom, a political figure named Jesus. Like the disciple Peter, we must all do business with the question Jesus put to him in Caesarea Philippi. Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, today hearkens us back to that question so that we might hear again Peter's reply. You are the Christ, Peter says, the Jewish king and therefore the Lord of the whole world. My goodness, Peter is getting political here, isn't he? And speaking of Peter, remember that he was the one called upon to explain what had just happened on the day of Pentecost. You remember? The day when the Holy Spirit descended upon that first group of Jesus' followers. It was quite a bizarre scene. People speaking in languages that weren't their own. The sound of violent wind filling the room. Tongues of fire alighting above everyone's heads. What does all this mean? Well, maybe they're all drunk with wine, someone said. Well, that's when Peter stands up and gives the first sermon in the history of the church. What you see here 
is prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes, Peter says. All because our long-awaited king has finally arrived and he is now sitting on his throne. I want you to listen to the final and climactic line of his sermon. This is how he brings everything to a conclusion. Therefore, he says, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, this Jesus whom you crucified, both Christ and Lord. And with this political claim, the church is off and running forming themselves into a new body politic, a holy nation, a citizenship with a a new way of organizing their common life together, all under the lordship of their newly enthroned king, Jesus. If this isn't politics, I don't know what is. It's hard for us to think this way because we have all been programmed to view politics and religion as two separate spheres of life. Politics dealing with earthly and public affairs and religion dealing with spiritual and private affairs. But this kind of configuration would have been inconceivable in the ancient world. In a world where politics and religion were one and the same. Which is why when we read the New Testament, And the stories of the early church, when we read about them sharing the good news that Jesus is Lord, we must not imagine them propagating a a new, private, spiritual kind of experience or distributing tickets to an afterlife party. No, these early Christians were heralds of a dangerous political message announcing to the world that there's been a regime change. A new society is born. God's kingdom is here. And most provocatively, that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. (laughs) Which is why I think we should be utterly shocked at the courage it took for the Apostle Paul to write these words we heard earlier in the service in today's second lesson from the book of Ephesians. This is what he said. That God raised the Jewish king from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all political rule and authority on earth. So that now God has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church. This rhetoric is crazy subversive, political treason even. No wonder so many Christians back then were persecuted and martyred by the powers that be, right? Their message came in loud and clear because the church's claim that Jesus is Lord was absolutely incompatible with the empire's claim that Caesar is Lord. Because politically speaking, You can only have one king. Well, okay, Father West, that was cute. You got my attention about getting political and all, but come on, we're not really talking politics here. 
I mean, yes, Jesus is Lord. And as Christians, we hail him as our Lord. We all know that, but still, we do live in a country and in a state and in a county and in a city. And it's our engagement in these entities, you know, our, our voting, our campaigning, our discourse and our party allegiances, all of this is really what it means to get political. Well, I would agree that when we engage in these kinds of activities, we are getting political. But here's the thing. If we reduce our politics only to those activities, then we are completely missing out on the gospel message. We are completely missing out on the breadth of the Christian claim. And so we will miss out on what God is actually doing in the world and in the church. Listen, our political activities in the governments of this world are important. They're just not near as important as our political activities in the kingdom of God. Because the end of history is not America made great again, however you define it, and neither is the end of history democracy for all. No. The end of history, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, is that all things will be gathered up in Christ, that is, in the church, things in heaven and things on earth. <laughs> Which means that the most political thing you or I or anyone else can do is to strengthen this holy nation called the church. The most world-shaking political action you or I can take is to seek first the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Because it is this commonwealth, this society called the church, where all things are ultimately headed. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be engaged in local, state, or national politics. Far from it. But we should always keep this activity in proper perspective. Never should we act as if any government is or could be the hope of the world. We should never imagine that one day, you know, if we just elect the right person, if we just enact the right legislation, if we just defeat this or that political party, then all things will be made right. And our country or our city or our state will be on the cusp of some sort of utopia. It's ridiculous, really. And yet you will hear so many Christians over this next year use this kind of language, doing their best to pull your heartstrings and lead you to believe that this kind of political action is ultimately what will save the world. <laughs> My friends, don't believe it. Don't buy into their lies. Remember the message of Christ the King Sunday. <laughs> That Jesus, the Jewish king, is the true Lord of the world. And he is making all things new in and through the church. This is our ultimate political hope. This, my friends, is the gospel, right? But even still... 
even as we build the church, even as we create a society that models for the world a new way to be human, even then, we should still get involved in government politics as part of our witness, as one of the many ways in which we strive to serve the world. It's not the be-all, end-all, but it is a good way to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I would argue that this should be our primary posture when it comes to the politics of local, state, and national governments. That we should get involved in these activities, not because we believe they're our salvation, but because we love and desire to serve the people around us. So to the degree that you get involved in these kinds of politics, make sure that your involvement isn't self-centered or self-serving. Make sure it's not all about you and your rights and your benefits. Make sure that you're instead looking out for those on the margins, those who are caught in systems of injustice, those suffering from poverty and neglect, just as our gospel reading today from Matthew strongly urges us to do. I'm ashamed to say that there are too many Christians in America now who when they turn their attention to the politics of nation and state, they make a lot of noise about themselves and those like them instead of standing up for those to whom Christ our King drew near. The outcast, the sick, the poor, the stranger, the underprivileged. When we engage in the politics of this world, these should be our primary concern. Because we, as citizens of another country, as citizens of heaven, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, aren't we? We are called to share in the life of God for the life of the world. And that's especially for the least of these. And so if we ever get political in our local and state communities, let us always put ourselves last. So, buckle your seatbelts. Ladies and gentlemen, for our national politics are about to ramp up, aren't they? Primaries, conventions, debates, elections. I don't know about you, but I am not looking forward to it. For it can all turn your average Christian into a crazy person. <laughs> but Lord willing, not us. No. Let all the noise be for us instead a reminder of this day, Christ the King Sunday, a day that calls us to get political about the right things, about our ultimate allegiance to Christ and his kingdom, about building up his church into a holy nation, and about loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's time to get political. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, our King, you have formed a new nation, you have formed a new family, a new community whose inheritance includes the world, a world full of your glory and your presence and your life and love. Lord, may our political actions be first and foremost spent there 
And may the way that we organize and live out our common life be a beacon of hope to the world around us who are scraping to find hope in other places. And as we as a church get involved in the politics of this world, Lord, help us to look out for those on the margins, the least of these. Help us to serve our neighbors well. We want to be that kind of church. And so come, Holy Spirit, empower us to do just that, we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.